Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking knots? What the fuck, Nicks? Mary, what the fuck, miss? How's that? What is it? The day after? A couple days after? What the fuck, miss? But I hope uh, I hope everything went well. I hope you got what you wanted. I hope you made it through your day or two with your family. You might still be in that. And my heart goes out to you. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe you're having a wonderful time. All I know is that I got a Christmas card from my father, and it was one of those photo Christmas cards uh, where there was a picture of my father and his wife and then another picture of just my father. And somehow or another, I read that as, Oh, there they are, and there's their child. I don't know if that makes sense, but it made sense to me in the moment. I want to thank you guys for sending me all the great Christmas cards and Christmas gifts. I got one here that is addressed to the Cat Ranch family from a fan out there named Micah, and it's actually an announcement for his uh, his uh, graduation. Candidate for the degree of Bachelor in Fine Arts and Creative Writing, congratulations. He said, you've been an inspiration to me for years. Thanks, I think. Micah. Well, uh, good luck with the creative writing thing. We need them. We need we need that. Uh, it's a tough field. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but uh, writing is good. People like to read, and the deeper you go, the better it is. I'm not not very good at congratulating. I uh, no good for you, man. Getting a degree is a, an important thing. I want to thank Andy Richter and family for his lovely card. Uh, I want to thank Amy, super fan Amy, for her lovely card and CD. John Montagna, the guy who did our theme music, sent me a picture. That's got a triptych of his child. Look at kids. Look at them. People have them and it looks fun. I went to a Christmas party over at Al Madrigal's and they asked me to dress up as Santa. I just couldn't muster it up. Couldn't pull it together. Couldn't feel right about it. Not for religious reasons. Just couldn't uh, couldn't quite do it. Uh, Brendan Walsh was there. He said, uh, if you were Santa, you would say, uh, how, how can I expect you guys to believe in me when I don't believe in me? which I thought was funny. Brendan Walsh is funny. Someone, who's this? A fan. Uh, Maria sent me a Nietzsche card. Merry Christmas. Uh, LOL, just kidding. God is dead. Love Nietzsche. But that uh, I think she wrote that in. Anyways, Nietzsche Christmas card. Gotta love it. All right, moving on. Getting through the holidays. Getting through a breakup. Getting through the heartache, the loneliness. I'm okay today. Not every day is good, but you know how that goes. I let somebody in, and it didn't work out. And now I'm, uh, I'm dealing with me, which seems to be the greatest fear in my life. And everything becomes, um, oh, by the way, Carlos Alzaraki is on the show today, the voice of, uh, from Rocco's Modern World or Modern Life or whatever, and the Chihuahua on the Taco Bell commercials, uh, Reno 911. Uh, he's been in a lot of things, and he's an old friend, and he actually uh, he beat me in the San Francisco comedy competition not long ago. Well, yeah, long ago, 93 maybe. Was it 92? I don't know. We'll talk about it. He came in first. I came in second. But I think he deserved it. I'll talk to him about that. Now, getting back to metaphors. Metaphors, like everything becomes a fucking metaphor. It's a, it's a romanticization of reality. Unbelievable what my brain will do. I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm alone in my house. There's a deluge. Is that the right word? A deluge, a monsoon. The rain seemed like it was never going to stop. I didn't know if my tiny old house 
up here at the Cat Ranch was going to hold up under the constant barrage and pummeling of the rain. I, I don't even have a rain gutter. There's one hole on my roof for the rainwater to come out of, and if that gets clogged with pine needles, I get a cabinet full of water. I get a surprise when I reach for a coffee mug to have my JustCoffee.coop. Hold on. Wait for it. Pow! Oh, I think I shit my Christmas pants. JustCoffee.coop, available at WTFPod.com. Enjoy. Get the WTF blend, and I get a little uh, little kickback on the back end. So anyway, so everything becomes a metaphor. Waterfalls out of the cabinets didn't happen. I was up on my roof several times wearing moccasins, slippers, climbing up ladders in my sleeping pants, my howling wolf sleeping pants that I have that I bought at Target. They got little wolves on them. Eating a lot of bowls of cereal, soothing the heart, eating the cereal. How come comfort foods always eventually make you feel uncomfortable because they're always so fucking filling and bad for you? How much cereal can I eat? You'd be surprised. But I'm sitting alone in my house watching television. Rain is pouring down. Cats are frightened under the bed. Everybody's freaked out. When is it going to stop? I don't know. And then all of a sudden, the giant light fixture in my living room that has several small, almost Christmas tree style bulbs on it, maybe 60. It's a, it was a, I don't know, a wall mount piece that we got at a thrift store somewhere years ago someone some woman bought it an ex it just surged with light like literally frightening like white light experience light like it just all of a sudden that that light fixture just lit up as if it was going to explode and all of a sudden the i saw the lights in the bathroom surging with light like all of a sudden there was no regulation in the number of voltage or the amount of volts or amps or watts or whatever the fuck comes in through the wires could not be stopped by anything the breakers i don't know i don't understand electricity but there's a surge of light it freaks me out then there's a popping sound and then i smelt something burning so in essence i believe my house had a stroke it had a stroke or an aneurysm it seemed that something went wrong with the brain with the circuitry with the wiring of the house so then all of a sudden that light goes out, the big fixture with all the bulbs, that goes out. The lights in the kitchen are now on, one of them is out, two of them are very dim, and the light switch doesn't work, it won't turn them off anymore. So I run around the house turning switches off, trying to find where the burning smell was. I couldn't find it, and then I found it, it smelled like it was in the fixture, in the fixture in the bathroom. So I turn those lights on, and it looks like a landing strip. They're so bright, I don't know if it's going to explode or melt or what, it's fucked up. And I'm freaking out because it's raining. I don't know what, what's burning. I don't know how dangerous it is. And this is just the kind of thing, especially if I'm alone. I don't know about you. But if there's someone else around, just so you can say, what the fuck? What do we do? And even if you know what to do, it's always good to involve someone else in your panic. Because then it takes the edge off. Hence the reason why my relationships are fucked up. Can I just make you an extension of my misery? Would you like to do that? Could I just make it so I don't have to deal with me by making you fucking crazy and then, you know, hating you for it and then feeling bad for making you upset and then me being upset? Very complicated. Much more complicated than just trusting and being capable of true intimacy. So there I am in the dark in my house. Lights have exploded. I turned the switches off. I have no recourse. I don't know what the fuck to do. It's raining. The plugs still work, though, so the TV was on. The TV was on, so I had company. We were okay. Me and the television, whatever was on the television. I'm one of those weird people. I watch what's on the television. If I'm watching TiVo, I feel like I've, I'm detaching from the whoever's running the controls. I actually believe that there's some guy switching switches, putting shows on, and that I want to be with him. I think that we should appreciate his work, even though that person doesn't even exist anymore. But nonetheless, 
I'm feeling comforted by the television. I'm sitting in the dark and I'm trying not to panic because it's 10 at night. What am I? I got to call an emergency electrician, right? Of course, emergency electrician. Like they exist in the pouring rain. And then I, I, I preemptively start worrying, well, what if an electrician comes out here and then fucking gets shocked in my front yard and he dies? Am I covered for that insurance-wise? Is he covered for that? How does that fucking work? So I get on the phone, emergency electricians. It's not in this state. It's a network. She says, I'll page the guy that we got in your area. And I'll go, and then what happens? He calls you and you make an appointment. Or he comes over. I'm like, okay, how much is it going to cost? Don't know, 150 bucks just for him to come over. So I'm like, all right, I'm in, I'm in a crisis. There's burning smell. Okay, no call. 11 o'clock, no call. 11.30, no call. Shit, do I sleep? Am I, is my house going to burn down? What has happened to the brain of my house? What has happened to my brain? What has happened to my heart? See, it all becomes one. See, my house has an emotional meltdown, has an aneurysm, has a, a, a profound, illuminating moment followed by a burning smell. What have we learned, me and my house? I don't know. I don't know anything about electricity. So I get into bed, hoping my smoke alarms work well enough to wake me up and continue reading a a large stack of books on codependency that I'm keeping next to my bed. Real proud, real proud to have the stack of codependency books and my cat sitting on my bed. I am officially becoming a cat woman. Anyways, trying to help me, I will do it. Despite some of the commentary I got on some of the blogs, saying that I'm rationalizing, I'm using psychobabble to justify something. You know what? Psychobabble, and they're quoting, they're telling me to read a David Foster Wallace book about a character that he created who used psychobabble to justify his womanizing. Yeah, I'll get to that book. That was written by a well-adjusted guy that obviously uh, you made the right decision in life. Not taking anything away from his genius, but the truth of the matter is, whatever fucking works, if you require psychobabble to make sense of your issues, and that psychobabble gives you some sort of pathway, some sort of methodology, some sort of process to guide you through whatever is fucked up in your wiring, then use it. There's no answers for this shit. So what does that mean? Am I doomed? Suck it up. Stiff stiff upper lip. People don't change. That's your lot in life. Fuck that. I've changed too much about myself to believe that shit. So meanwhile, I'm in bed, my codependency books and my cats, wondering if my house is going to burn down. I get up the next day, got my, uh, my moccasins on, my ridiculous furry slipper moccasins that were a gift from some other woman. My house is now, like someone said, aren't you sad with all that shit in your house from your ex-wife and this and that? I'm like, I never thought about it that way. Thanks for helping out. So now I've got my sad shoes on. I'm in my sad house because of the sad light fixture that I, you know, just days before thought was beautiful and never attached to my past just appreciated it as furniture. And I'm supposed to have, uh, you know, Chris Hardwick's coming over to take the Nerdist with me in my studio. So I'm like, now I got to call an electrician. So I call an emergency electrician. I don't know what language the guy's speaking. He's like, hello? Uh, nah, nah, that's just a general, uh, that's not even an accent. Uh, he's hello? And I'm like, yeah, hello? And he's, he's talking, it's hard for me to understand. I say, how much is it going to cost? He says, I'll come over for the $49. For, for $49. That's sort of Mexican though. No, I, I can't do an accent. Well, I go, okay, whatever, man, I'm in trouble here. So he comes over, him and another guy in the pouring rain. They say it's $49. And then to troubleshoot, turns out they're Bulgarian, two Bulgarians, 49 bucks. I figure that's a deal to troubleshoot. If he finds anything wrong, it's $595 to fix it. So it's sort of a gamble. I said, well, what if you pop open a, a switch and it's that? He goes, well, then we'll, we'll fix it. Yeah, this, this, this different, this different. We'll, we'll figure out price. And I'm like, okay. 
So these guys are there for seven fucking hours. And there's nothing worse. There's nothing that makes you feel like less a man than not being able to understand your own fucking house, not being able to understand how to get... I mean, obviously, electricians have a specific job, but I find it very emasculating. And it turns out he had every goddamn light fixture in my house out, wires dangling everywhere, every switch out, every so often. Every time they popped open a panel or pulled a, a fixture out of the wall, I would hear like, oh, fuck, fuck. Fucking shit. This is terrible. Like, that was Bulgarian. It was just it's a disaster. So I'm like, well, what did the rain cause this? He's like, no, no, it's not a rain. This is not a rain. And I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, this is this is shit. This who, who did the, the wiring on this? It's shit. And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I mean, I have one guy do it, but who knows? It could be 30. So 45 years, 50 years of handymen. See, that's how, that's what we do in this culture, especially in Los Angeles. I got a guy. Got a guy who does a thing. He, he can do it. He got tools. I got a guy with tools. He got, you know, stay, he can do that. So you get all these guys with tools that are wiring things, putting light fixtures in, you know, putting new switches in. They don't do it properly. This Bulgarian pulls a piece, a light fixture off the wall, and the shit is burnt inside. He goes, this is very dangerous. What is wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? I, fix it. I, I don't need a moral judgment here. I don't, what am I going to do? Get in there myself? And yeah. So seven hours, he's up in the crawl space. There's wires everywhere. They track it down. Apparently, even though I live in a small bedroom house, electricity is fairly complicated. Not unlike the brain. And I kept thinking, it's like, is there some sort of equivalent here? Can I get a couple of Bulgarians that'll take seven hours and rewire my fucking brain so it at least functions properly? But he's up in the crawl space. They rewire everything. They get everything working. But, the, you know, and it's 600 bucks. But I tell you, honestly, it was, it was 600 bucks well spent. Because if that was a hustle, you know, if that was a smaller problem, they definitely put on a show. There was a lot of cussing, a lot of Bulgarian, a lot of uh, tools, a lot of things coming out of walls, switches open. He put a new switch on. So, but, you know, I've gotten paid that for a gig. Or more, and I figured, you know, that was a, a hell of a show if that was just a hustle for 600 bucks, but everything's working fine. But then he told me that, you know, there's certain things not up to code. I need a new box, you know. He, he tells me that the outlets in my, my kitchen, you know, they should have uh, these switches on them because the breakers won't stop it if I get locked into an electrical shock situation where I'm, you know, holding my coffee pot and my cone filled with justcoffee.coop, available at wtfpod.com or justcoffee.coop. And I, you know, and I get current, you know, jolting through me. It will not go off. I need new outlets. So now it's add, added an extra bit of menace to my morning rituals, and uh, also it makes me understand that home ownership is a, a never-ending repair, fix, make work situation, not unlike mental health. To follow through on the metaphor. Let's get this out of the way. Yeah. So, you stole it from me. It's it's really what happened. It was 1993. 93, the San Francisco Comedy Competition. My second year in it. Mine too. Uh-huh. So, I, I think I placed like 13th or 14th that first year. Uh, 39th for me. The first really? year, yeah. 39th? 39th. Oh, so I guess maybe, like maybe you deserved it. Yeah, you could have been one of those Hollywood makeup calls where, you know, Cher didn't win it for Silkwood, but in, they decided to give it for, for Moonstruck when Holly Hunter should have won for Broadcast News. Yeah. I think this was the, that version of that because Broadcast News was a much more intelligent movie, although I do like John Patrick Shanley. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt this sort of Ving Rhames. If I could have done the Ving Rhames thing with Jack Lemmon when mm-hmm. Ving Rhames gave Jack Lemmon his award, I would have done that. I would have given it either to you or... Uh, or Pat Oswalt, just so I wouldn't have to live with the guilt 
I'll but be I've been honest living with, with it all this, these years. Yeah, I, I really don't think it's weighing on you too hard. I, I no. it's Carlos Alzraki is my uh, guest. You know him from uh, he's here at the Cat Ranch <laughs> in the garage. You know him from uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Reno Nine One One. Yeah, uh, too many credits to even mention. Yeah, and what are your big credits? Like, if you say like, "Hey, who are you?" What do you say? And well, it would always refer back to show business rather than my own personal accomplishments in terms of uh, what I've done. Helping people, starving people. Yeah, or what I've done in therapy and how far I've come. Yeah. To be able to get married is pretty huge. Yeah. So I wouldn't list that as my credits. I would say Reno 911, Taco Bell Chihuahua, uh, both Happy Feet, Happy Feet 1 and 2. Taco Bell Chihuahua. Bought my house. The dog bought your house. Vivo gorditas. (laughs) Here, lizard, lizard. (laughs) Bought a two-story house in North Hollywood for me. And I, you know what I remember is Bobcat Goldthwait. This, this, this acting fucking crazy shit. Pay for your fucking braces. <laughs> what the, is that my fucking phone? That is your fucking phone because my fucking phone is off. And as you can see, I've white trashed the back of it with some uh, wow gaffer's tape. Let's do this now. I got show business here. Hello. For the comedy store, my availability. I'm sorry, I'm doing my podcast right now, so mm-hmm. I, this has to be part of it now. I'm available. Um, I'm available all week, but yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll I'll take anything you got there. Let them know I beat you in the competition, though, if they need me. Right, I'm talking to Cal- you. Know who Carlos Alzraki is? Oh, he did the voice for the the Taco Chihuahua, Bell. the Taco Bell Reno nine one one. See, here I can list my credits and see. Yeah, it. the guy from Reno nine one. Yeah, I'm talking to him right now. And uh, not that that's important to you, but we might use this on the podcast. So yeah, I'm available Friday. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, let's just see what he gives me. Put it all in there. Thank you, man. But God was impressed. He was. He, you know, when I said uh, uh, Taco Bell, Troy goes, "Oh, from Reno Nine One One." So he knew. Yeah. So he linked them. So let's just let me just set the stage. Both you and I were living in San Francisco. Yeah. It was ninety two, ninety three. Uh, it's a San Francisco comedy competition when it had some integrity. The the yes. final five are a year. Was me, you, Patton, Rick Kearns. And Stephen B. Stephen B. Holy yeah, Rick shit. Rick Kern's another great comic. Mm-hmm. Down at the liquor store. Mm-hmm. I thought. And he was white and he talked like that. Yeah. I thought, yeah, the most intelligent brands of comedy were coming from you three. Steve and I were more sort of the entertainer voice guys. I had a little bit. I wasn't as political back then. I, I would say I was a good performer. Great performer. I, great bit. You closed with uh, the Scottish Devil. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. And, yeah. And uh, it was at the Masonic Auditorium. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't my night. It was yeah. a performer's night. It had it been like an eclectic Holy City Zoo, Fillmore type place with the more discerning right. crowd. Right. I I probably would not have done as well. But um, you know, it I it's kind of a curse to be first place in the competition because there's not many first place competition winners that went on to do fantastic things. Well, you did. You've you've had a very active and 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 lucrative life in show business, Carlos. I'm not going to take that shit from you. Yeah, but it, I, it's because I did not let that night's victory fool me. Oh, you just went ahead and yeah. worked against it. You didn't let it spoil yeah. you and say, this is it, I've arrived. Yeah. And, and you would have been maybe living in the same building as Johnny Steele. Exactly, but what I did is <laughs> I took that money and I invested it in property, property in San Francisco with my brother and, uh, and a married couple. And we bought tenants in common in this place uh, near uh, the Presidio and we still own it today. So I was very frugal. 
I you was, bought property in 1993 three. with the money you won from the competition, which yeah. was like 15k, 10k, 10k. I put that. And I just said, "Here, Ed, take this as part of my down payment of half of two units." which were an upstairs and downstairs. We did a tenants in common. And then after a couple of years, we each condoized. So we uh, owned the units separately. So you lived there sometimes? Yeah, I lived there for six months. And then I moved to LA in uh, January 94 because won the competition. Phone calls, phone calls, phone calls. Was there? Big pro- literally the flavor of the month. After 30 days, you know, I went, showcased William Morris, bunch of suits, went in and did all my showcases. Uh, that's it. It's over. You're closing up shop. You power off. Wait, but you got an agent out of it. I got an agent out of it, and then uh, about a year later, nineteen ninety five, I got the Stephanie Miller show as uh, when she had a talk show. Sure, that lasted a few minutes. Right, it lasted thirteen weeks, and we we, we were canceled during Christmas. Like all the Who's were out on the Paramount <laughs> lot. Merry the Who's Christmas. from <laughs> you've been canceled. <laughs> I heard it in a Boris Karloff voice too. <laughs> How could Christmas come when they've been canceled? <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. So a lot then, of ups and downs, but it, it started the roller coaster going. And I had Rocco's Modern Life too at that point too, uh, with Tom Kenny and. Uh, also a San Francisco guy. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Tom, Tomcat, via Syracuse and Boston. Yeah, via Tomcat, Bobcat, best buddies. Best buddies growing upstate up. Upstate New York, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they moved to San Francisco. Were you there? Were you doing comedy during that whole renaissance? No. I was in San Francisco from 87 to 94. Doing comedy. Doing comedy. Yeah, and really just you know working at two different health clubs uh the telegraph hill club which is now gone and cole valley fitness which is right by the it's good for you to plug the health clubs i appreciate yeah. that that's cole and uh, Parnassus. we don't usually do plugs on this show but i mean i think it's fine for you to go ahead and plug health clubs that are out of business retroactively yeah. yes because i didn't do it during the day i didn't have the ability to so if, if time travel is possible i've just done some good plugging for so, yeah so if anyone can get into that time machine go work out at those places in san francisco Carlos will oh. be working there. Make sure you stop by the Tassajara ba- uh, Bakery, which is Kitty Corner from Cole Valley Fitness. Awesome. But you remember the other cafe, the Anjuda used to pull by? A little by. before. A little before me. Uh, uh, I got to San Francisco in 93, 92. Okay. So, th- so you literally left right after I sort of got planted there. So I did deserve to win the competition because I paid my dues. I lived there. I paid the high rent. Uh, well, I- I, okay. Well, I think what you're saying is that the San Francisco comedy competition favored local guys to for, to win first place even if it wasn't theirs to win and yeah. and i i think that's what you're saying and and i'm sure i can respect that and i think at one point Patton was my roommate i met pat noswalt in uh, richmond virginia he was going attending william and mary college out there and i worked this gig and here comes this young amadeus kid that yeah. just what the, he's like 20 years old and it was oh my god who is this guy he he was on the show with you yeah i was salieri and you know forever and he was Amadeus I just had to like I cannot compose <laughs> shit like that yeah but you uh, you know you have a very specific talent and I you know I don't know how to how you do it yeah and I you mean know, you do you're, you're a voice guy is that bad I'm a voice guy that's not bad in my older years I've, I've started to emulate the people that I liked and thought were brilliant such as yourself and Patton and said you know I can inject a little bit of political shit in here and throw my voices in at the same time and say I can paint with these this brush a little bit I can the Doug Stanhopes and the Dana Goulds and you know I just watch everybody yeah but the thing is is like the great guys like even guys like Lenny Bruce was a great mimic I mean he yes. used more voices than anybody you just mentioned certainly I mean at, on any given bit a Lenny Bruce bit uh was they did what it was called peopling the stage like there were guys that could do that Bill Cosby could do that where you'd have longer stories but the characterizations and the voices used really brought out a bunch of different personalities on the stage 
Yeah, and I, I kind of try to integrate it. I do a Chris Rock bit where I do Chris Rock bit, and I, I, it's basically my theory is that world peace cannot happen until people return shopping carts, pick up cigarette butts, and flush their own shit. And it turns into Chris Rock going, you got to flush your fucking shit. You got, I don't, unless your shit got titties on it, I don't want to see your fucking shit. And then I tell people, flush your poo, then we can talk about world peace. And so... I like that. What other comics do you do? Uh, who, what other comics do I do? I don't know. That's a good question. Because, I mean, it's different being a voice guy and being an impressionist. It's two different things. I mean... Sure. I mean, you, you know what really, I do? I do, really... uh, I do Billy Crystal because I've done all the Monsters, Inc. Uh, merchandise for about five years now. So anything that's a toy, that's a Mike Wazowski, that's me. So technically, I'm not doing Billy... The real Billy Crystal is probably a little bit lower about right here. So... <laughs> And I've done him for the podcast for Feldman. Didn't yeah. I do that? Yeah, you yeah, made And of did. course, Maury Amsterdam. Who does Maury Amsterdam? <laughs> Who knows? You didn't ask did. about recent comics. No, Maury Amsterdam's fine. <laughs> so I'm golden. If the, anybody ever needs a corporate gig where they need a Maury Amsterdam or a Billy Crystal. If you ever get that call, let me know. Unbelievable. <laughs> but so now now we, when you walked in, you, you were having an issue with the, with the casting <sighs> yeah. call. I mean, what, now what, what, what do you, what's that stream you have to swim against there? Um, uh, I'm a, I'm a white salmon in a, in a pink brown salmon world, you know, I'm never going to get to spawn with my name, Carlos Jaime Alasraki, Sephardic Jewish last name with a Spanish first name. Are you a Jew? Uh, way back when I'm a watered down American now, but, uh-huh. uh, on the, my father's side, that's where it started. Spanish Inquisition said, uh, Alasraki's, uh, you got to get out of Spain. Die or go. Die or go. Yeah. Uh, the Alasraki's go from Spain to Turkey, Izmir. Is the 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 the, the barrio the, the yeah. barrio the, the the ghetto where uh-huh. they live and they go from there the Turkish to, Jew Spanish Jew ghetto yes the Turkish Spanish, Spanish Jew, ghetto. Jew ghetto yeah they go from there to France from yeah. France to Argentina then it all starts to get watered down and my mom's an Episcopal minister and Methodist priest and so your dad have or your the whoever moved during the Inquisition had a hard time finding Jews to continue the line with probably. And said, "Let's just let's just fuck whoever we want." Exactly. Yeah, that uh, was that happens in Argentina, man. Oh yeah, the gorgeous people that yeah. nothing to do. And you, your but, family comes from Argentina. Yeah. Now yeah. and and so you're stuck in this predicament where he's Latino. Yeah, and I, I try to equate it. I go, Heidi, what's happening is that they always want me to play a gardener, and I go, that's like my me being Jewish and playing a uh, a tailor, yeah, a yeah. lawyer. Oh, look at those! A bagel yeah. salesman. Oh my God, they, those those pants need to be taken up a little. <laughs> exactly, because I think you know, there's a quota out there where they have to say, we, well, we brought in these Latin actors to play this role. I, I've gone out for a role like something, uh, it's something wild. It's the one with Will Arnett and the role was Migo, his sidekick. And it's very quixotic or Quixote. Yeah. Uh, Sancho? Quixotic, I Sancho guess. Panza? They needed a Sancho Panza role uh-huh. and they literally, I went in, uh-huh. I don't look like, what, and they went with a shorter, Mexican pudgier, guy. darker looking guy. And I feel that this is going to be the same way and they always say, well, no, if you're funny, they'll do it. And we talked about this in your kitchen. I'm like, I'm not going to be Charlton Heston in A Touch of Evil. <laughs> I'm Inspector Vargas. <laughs> Oh man, that's bad shoe polish, dude. It's embarrassing. You, you can't do that, right? Not unless you're, you know, Rob Schneider, who's a brilliant comic, 
kind of gets away with doing some of that stuff in the Does sand. He? Like those, I'm Hawaiian, man. Look at me, I'm Hawaiian. Does he though? Because he's got the Filipino parents. Uh, yeah, Dusy is the real question. Does he I mean, really like, get away with it? I mean, like, I mean, Robert Downey in Tropic Thunder was insanely hilarious, and that it was that played on the that actually satirized the idea exactly of that brilliantly. But just to do it and not draw attention to it. Yeah, without any irony whatsoever, it's it's just it's so it's a hard sell these days, I would think. Yeah, it is, and especially when there are lines in, scri- in the script where my character is supposed to be saying, "Oh, I love to fool the white people." Not, I am fucking uh, white, and uh, that's just gonna look stupid coming out of my mouth. Well, I've recently had this weird realization that, uh, and from you know fan email, you know, saying that when I have someone, and when I have a black person on, or when I have a woman on, that I do this thing, or even a Jew, where it's sort of like, so is it hard for you know you because you're a woman, or is it hard? Like, yeah. I I create a, a separate space for them which is antithetical to the equality idea yeah but what i'm starting to realize is that the american thing that you identify yourself yeah. first american. and foremost yeah we're americans and that and, and that's sort of better than saying you know i'm an argentinian american necessarily yeah because you just are have you ever been in a situation where you've been asked to uh, be more mexican or put or more latino or put or actually wear dar- or darken your skin or Mm, I'm trying to think. You know what? Yeah, yeah. Kind of the show Las Vegas. I played a janitor named Juan. Yeah. And I, they literally put a shoe polish dye because they needed to do it quickly and something that could wash out every day. A really cheap dye on my beard. And they darkened my beard a little bit, combed my hair back, added some darkness to it, so I would look more, I guess, closer to Puerto Rican or something yeah. like that. So yes, wasn't asked to, advised to, but I play a character on Big Time Rush, a little kid show, uh, named Marcos del Pozzi, and all it is is a wig. And I can be light skinned. I told my manager, look, I could play Latin. Yeah. I can't play Mexican Mexican or El Salvadoran or Puerto Rican. I can play Latin American. Kind of like what uh, Hank Azaria does. He's a Sephardic. Yeah. And, you know, he did in Birdcage or he did in uh, American Sweethearts. Yeah. They, they, they Spanish guy with this accent. Yeah. Who's, because I try to, it's, it's always a pretty obvious to me when people go, hey, like, you're, you're fucking white, man. Speak Spanish. Uh, pardon me. Spanish is a white European language. I don't know if you know anything about history. You're speaking the language of your white conquerors. So I don't know if you want to find the irony there. Well, the, you've got to, but then you'd have to really sit them down and give them a lesson and yeah. say this is how it goes. Do you, you might want to speak Mayan or Aztec. Now, do, do you see yourself, I mean, are you like a, a you do cartoon voices. Is yeah. there a community of guys that only do cartoon voices? I mean, are there guys, that are, you must be called out for everything. Uh, I wish I was busier. There's guys like John DiMaggio, Tom Kenny, Jeff Bennett. Those are like your top tier guys that are doing stuff every week, like three or four times a week, maybe five times a week. I'm in a like a, like a second tier thing, but I do swim with those guys in the same swimming pool. Uh, there's Tara Strong. There's Gray Delisle. There's Nika Futterman. There's so many talented people. Darren Norris that you do run into on a concert, and it is a small pool. And once they use you and if they like you, you know, you can get like five voices out of one octave, so you just... What does that mean? So it means like I started out with Rocco on Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah. And he sounds like this. <clears throat> then I went into Winslow. Hey, cat dog. Which is just a bit more pinched off. Yeah. Then that went into Laszlo and hey, hey, Scoutmaster Lumpus. And so I'm almost getting three voices right there out of the same octave. I always thought that they made that. I didn't know that you guys made it that, that I thought they sped it up or something to get that tone. No, on some they do, but no. And then Tom Kenny's like, Hey, SpongeBob. Ah, 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 hey, Patrick. It's just, you know, you pinch your voice off. You can swim in, in that. Where'd you learn to do this shit? I don't know. Just here, here's what I think happened. My parents are from Argentina. The joke in my act is my dad goes to, goes to British schools, does not have an accent. My mom could peel wallpaper with an H. Hello. Yeah. So no me digas, Carlos, Carlitos. 
you have to listen to me. So I grew up with that. I go over to my best friend Kevin's house when I'm a kid. Yeah. They're all from Glasgow, Scotland. Let me tell you this, Carlos. You're not going to get uh, successful by lying around. So as a kid, I'm soaking it up. It's like wind instruments, right? You Literally, your throat is a wind instrument. Okay. And so if you watch the way somebody manipulates their mouth. Yeah. So if you watch this guy, John, and Glasgow, they all have that stiff upper lip and it's tight and it pushes air out a certain way. So if you make your face like that, you're able to push the air out. And if you're talking in Spanish like that, no me digas, it's a different lip movements or whatever. So if you're in attuned to that, like a lot of the VO people are, you just like, okay, I want to make my mouth move like that and I think I can do it. And it just comes out. You're just manipulating that little muscles in your mouth. And But you're manipulating them in a fairly, uh, almost there's a, I'm going to properly use the word histrionics. There's a, there are histrionics to it, mm-hmm. the, theatricality to it, and also a, a way of, of working your mouth as an instrument that you actually culturally have decided that Scottish people do something with their mouth. Uh, I've decided that, whether it's factual or not. I remember I was learning Australian when I first did Rocco because I wanted to get it right. And the How guy, do you learn Australian? The guy was a linguist that said everything comes out of your nose and you shove the, your tongue up to the roof of your mouth and you just go, uh, you flatten everything out. 13, 14, 15, 16, get I, all that stuff. It comes through your nose. Huh. It's all this. And you listen to this on a tape or I what? I listened on a little cassette tape, you know? I did that once with Janine Garofalo, who had to read for a Russian character, and we had to stop and pick her up Russian tapes. I didn't listen to the tapes with her. Yeah. But I, I don't think she ever used the accent. But you have to have a knack for this shit. I mean, you can't, it's not like anybody can do this. <sighs> like, what What are your accents? What, what, what are your strong suits? I think, uh, because I grew up with it, Glasgow for sure, and uh, probably uh, because I'm a huge Anglophile and watch a lot of Bottom and stuff like that. And I love Hugh Laurie, the old stuff on uh, Blackadder. Probably British, Argentinian. But can you do nuanced British, like the different uh, different regions? You know who's really good at it is uh, Jim Ward. So if you're upper class, you know, um, certainly. This is different from, like, hey, you fucking slug. I will fucking end your life right now. Right fucking now. Don't even look over here. Get out. Get out. Uh, and, uh, and Glasgow's way different than Edinburgh. You've been to Edinburgh. Our good friend Derek Moore is uh, here from Edinburgh, and it's a lot softer. Well, Glasgow, you have to, it's hard. Can you make it so I can't quite understand you? Uh, yeah. What's up? Oh, yeah. Uh, Rod Nesbitt, Gregor Fisher is an actor that was the manager in Love Actually. Yeah. And he plays a character named Rob. I'm a water man. Hey, Marty, <laughs> three days ago you sent me out the put. He gave the sausages. I got the sausages in my pocket, Marty. It, and you, you get it, didn't it? It's your wings. You, you, get, a, you get them, you hit, hit down. And Did you like, say what? something? Yeah, I said, when it comes right down to it. Well, it comes right down to it. It's the wings that drive you crazy. <laughs> when it comes right down to it, it's the kids that drive you crazy. Really? Rabsy Nesbitt is, takes place in Govan, which is a poor suburb of Glasgow. Yeah. And it is raunchy. It's physical. They're poor. They're desperate. They're never going to make it. And I love it because that's what's missing. The sadness is missing from all American comedy. Yeah. Even the subtle difference between- Have you the, seen, uh, sorry, uh, the uh, Men of a Certain Age? I have not seen that. It's, there's some sadness there. This I will tune into. I love... But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your point. That's okay. Um, my point is... Um, sadness. Oh, well, we started with the difference between Glasgow and... Uh, well, I think your point... It, well, it's a broader point about about what makes, uh, I think, uh, comedy from the UK different. You're saying that there, we avoid sadness here. In the UK, their attitude is, my life is shit. 
I'll go down at a pub and I'm going to die one day. It's that Pink Floyd lyric, shorter of breath and one day closer to death. Yeah. Fritter and waste the Here, hours. Here, it's like, right. we're not dying. We, we don't die. We don't die. We and can get if, younger. If people get sick, we move them out of the house. We, it's a problem we don't have to deal with. Don't even have to look no at it. No dying here. Yeah. And that, it, it's, to me, that's the difference between the American office and the, and I think Greg Daniels had said it once, we take out the sadness. Because America believes we can be number one and achieve. We can always achieve, and the Eng- English aren't like that. I'm a, I work at a shitty fucking slough paper company, and that's it. I'll never get done because she's going out with But you're league. right, there's a humanity to it, but I think that also has to do with the nature of the American cultural spirit. I think there's something about you know, accepting your, your, your place in life that Americans really refuse to do unless it's beaten into them. Yep. And that there's something about, I, I think also, you know, history of, uh, like I found it in Ireland too, that it, I don't know if it's a class issue or what, but it, it seems that people realize like, I not everybody thinks they're going to be a fucking millionaire or a superstar in yep. other countries other than America. Yeah. There's something about the American disposition that's sort of like, it could happen, man. I, 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 could, I could be uh, be a billionaire tomorrow. Yeah, they're, they're they're saving for their plot on the moon, you know. Yeah, it's just, but it's unbelievable. But it doesn't exist in other people, and because of that, their humanity is a lot more it's just deeper, comes pouring it's deeper. through. I love Norman Lear. I loved All in the Family. I, I watched a little bit of Good Times, but that humanity was always there. Well, that but that humanity was uh, sort of uh, that was essentially a a kind of uh, American working class yeah uh, uh, attitude that you don't see much anymore. Really, you saw it a little bit on Roseanne, I guess. Yeah. And this will segue into something else because I'm dying to talk about this, but um, it's athletes. I always write, I'm a big sports nut, and I, yeah. with the LeBron James and the Kobe Bryant, where I go, there's no more Frodo's. There's no more George Bailey's. Nobody wants to, to write it out. Everybody wants the ring. They want the fucking precious. Yeah. There's, you know, if Frodo were an athlete today, he'd go, no, fuck the Shire. I'm not playing for the fucking, I want to fucking win that fucking ring, and I want to play for Sour Man. I'm yeah. sorry. Right. This ring is about me. Right. And then this references into the Pat Tillman story. It's called The Tillman Story, which I put on my Facebook. You have to run to see this film. Well, I followed a lot of that to what was happening because I was doing political radio. <sighs> Fucking heartbreaking and frustrating. But th- this is the guy that he was the real item in terms of, if you want to believe his family, which I do, he's just like, I don't want any fucking publicity. I think what happened uh, on 9-11 is sucks. I want to quit football. I don't want any fanfare. I just want to go fight for my country. And he puts on his little certificate, I don't want a fucking military burial. I want to fucking be dead, put my body in the ground, no fanfare. No, no, I don't want to be politicized for this fucking war. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, they did. Yeah. But it, that type of character is just devoid uh, now in, in our culture. We, right. s- we celebrate the Kobe Bryants and the LeBron James and the whoever you know winning and the john boehner types with the fake tans and the hair it's all about screaming and winning and there's no subtlety and but how do you feel about it you know i mean like i find that like you know dealing with age dealing with getting older dealing with um you know some dealing with disappointment is is not something i'm great at and and those are all the things that that make people's hum, humility. It's what gro- those are the seeds of humility is accepting your limitations, you know, understanding your reality, and and behaving like a person in relation to that, not denying yeah. it all. I mean, do you find yourself you know up against that? You're a little older than me. Uh, three years. I'm 48. Sure. I think it once. Uh, what? That's a biblical quote, right? You got to die to yourself to live someday, and I think that's pretty true. If you go through therapy or whatever, if you realize, like you said, that you're going to die, you really kind of go, God, all of this shit is bullshit. A lot of it is bullshit. 
it still doesn't kill your competitive thing. I think it's still okay to be competitive, but in terms of chasing fame, from my own point of view, maybe I'm fooling myself. It, it's nice. I've been on red carpets before and Reno 911 and we had a premiere and yada yada, and that's very alluring. But at some point, you're just like, eh, what's the point? You can only get so many toys. So I think that does come with age. Hopefully it comes with age. But learning to be an adult and and realizing that you always you won't always get your way or people won't be who you want them to be, if you can just realize that, it kind of mellows you out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a little heartbreaking. And I know, it's like, oh, I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, like, the toys thing. I'm not a big toys guy, but, like, what I, in my competitive sense, like, it sounds to me like you were you've always been in good shape that you you are were you a sports guy yeah did you play i played sports so you can lose without feeling like your life is being threatened i always could and i remember in high school football we lost the game and i was a junior and i got two plays and i was happy because i got to play and they're like what the fuck yeah. what's wrong al al's a rocky what are you so happy about i'm sorry i got to play yeah. you fucking lost dude yeah. I'm, it's not that I'm not a team guy. I am, but I'm sorry. I, I saw the lights and yeah, I got, yeah. caught a ball. You're you know? supposed to be able to lose with some dignity. <sighs> yeah, it, I guess in this day and age, you fucking patsy, fucking pussy. Yeah. Strong, don't you want to win? Yeah. What do you win? What? That's what I think. Because these people are like, you know, my team won. We won the championship. I have friends that are like, I want to win an Oscar. What do you win? It's a statue that goes on a mantle. That doesn't guarantee that you won't get divorced or die of a coke overdose. That guarantees nothing. It guarantees yeah. that you've won something that you can put on your shelf. You know, the Hillary Swanks of the world, that didn't keep her from getting divorced. Because then you start to really, if you really look at this, the, the, the span of history yeah. and, and what stays relevant and what doesn't, almost nothing stays relevant. You know, Oscar winners, they, they, and when you, when you watch In Memoriam, you know, in memoriam uh, yeah. on the Oscars and you see these, these actors that won, you know, in 1940 who die or yeah. 1930 and, and you sit there like, I have no, I have no idea who that is. Yeah. That, that it, it, I guess it's relative to your personal accomplishment, but I think the idea that, that it changes things, we think that. Yeah. It really just becomes a pride thing. It is a pride thing, and it's like uh, Citizen Kane does not apply to me. You know, yeah, yeah. You're gonna have your rosebud moment, whether you like it or not. Oh, you're gonna realize, fuck. I I just love that fucking sled. What the fuck was I talking about? So now, did your parents when you grew up they they stay married? They did not. They got divorced uh, in '81. Kind of. So you were older. I was older, high school. Probably could have happened earlier, but they said, you know what? We'll stay together for the kids. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Let's uh, let's let, let's live a lie a little longer. Yeah. So the kids don't, uh, you know, realize we were living a lie. Yeah. I had that. Yeah, yeah. I had yeah. Lie. I just talked to this guy, Derek. Same thing from Scotland. He says parents got together. Good story, though. Happy ending. 14 years apart, he said, and now they're back together again. About to move in. No. Yeah. 14 years apart they were. I like that you told the story in the accent. In the accent, because that's the way I remembered it. It was and just you, the other night. And you, did you actually spend a lot of time in therapy? I still am. I, I, I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by uh, even yeah. I could go deeper, but, uh, you know, it's the Batmobile thing. You know, you yeah. let a little bit in a time, yeah, then yeah. you close up again. Yeah. I, I like the results. I like who I've become because of it. Well, what were your issues? Let me see. If I could generalize, the issue was... Not letting people in. I don't want to need anything because then it could be taken away. In a nutshell, right? Fear of being hurt. Yeah, it's mu obviously, and I've, obviously, when a child sees their parents get divorced, you can't escape that type of thing. So I would say that's it in a nice general reductive package. It's probably a lot more complex than that. I'm, it indeed is more complex than that. But that would be a nice way to put it. Was that? Does that speak to your creativity at all? Sure. I, I think mean, it speaks to. 
most comics creativity. But I mean, but your specific creativity, it's like, I'm not even me. Sure. Yeah. Here's another place you could go. Yeah. You know, here's a, yeah, this is easier to dance in this little body to pretend. And for me, skydiving, and I've done all these things, skydiving and, and scuba diving, and I can do this. And that was all to protect myself from, I can just make myself big. If I can make myself bigger and I can be a skydiver and a scuba diver and get fame, like Citizen Kane, then all that other stuff can't touch me, you know? Well, you're afraid specifically of being abandoned or being, uh, like, because my fear is like, I'm very sensitive. Sure. And and I'm easily like I get hurt pretty easy. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I'm, sure. you know, I'm 46 years old. I've been throwing myself up in front of like rooms full of you know drunk strangers for yeah. for more than half of my life. But I'm still so fucking. I can read one bad email. Oh from yeah, somebody and just I don't be read like, that shit. Oh, but but I mean, not reading is one thing. Being able not unlike a healthy competition to say it's just one idiot. It doesn't mean anything as opposed to letting it hurt my heart. Yeah. You can't escape that. That's that's who you are. And I, I do that on I started a fight on Facebook with all these political things. And then I finally realized, like, I'm wasting my fucking time. I'm not going to change anybody's mind just because I say so. Uh, but it hurts. It hurts when somebody doesn't agree with you. And comedy is very personal. Yeah. It's it's different if a guy's not listening and drunk. You yeah, can deal yeah. with that. But if somebody says, you're not funny or that bit's not, what the yeah, fuck? How dare you? And then you're like, why? Explain to me why you don't think I'm funny. And then I'm like, you know, I can turn you around. Maybe you didn't hear it right. Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. It's evil the way that that can happen. You, I think comics in general are sensitive. And anybody who says differently is selling you something, to quote Carrie Ulwes from the Princess Bride. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Life is pain, Highness. Well, I think that when I first met you, like I was always impressed that you're always sort of like you know positive, and you know you're you're always full of the juice, full of yeah. the beans. Uh, I you you didn't seem to me like you know like I you know like I had any access to uh you know, to being pals or whatever. You but you're always pretty you know yeah. nice. You're a nice guy, but I always did get that feeling. It's like what's going on inside that guy? It must be dark <laughs> and full of weird heads. Probably is, yeah. A lot of rage. A lot really? of rage. Oh, yeah, man. Just frightening rage. Hitting walls and fuck and really? screaming. Dogs running outside going, oh, man, that master's angry. Yeah, and with the facade of a happy, positive guy. Hey, I'm happy, positive. But if, if you don't address that stuff, it just stews. You know. Well, how'd your rage manifest itself? Like, did you hit a wall? Oh, I've hit walls. I've Over what? What sparks Losing it? keys. Oh, what am I? Oh, that's Fucking stuff. keys. Yeah, yeah, God, yeah. motherfucker. Stupid Fuck God, sports teams don't fucking punt the ball. Fucking go for it. It's like, oh my God, it's frightening. And it, you know, I'm getting better, but it still happens. It's like, and I talk to my wife. She goes, I, I, I'm really frightened when this happens. I go, honey, I can't guarantee it'll change. I can say I'm going to change. You do it in front of her, or do you rage at her? No, I never rage at somebody. I, I have done it in front of her. Right. And it's not a comfortable thing. And I go, you're right. But I can't flip a switch and say that I'm never going to do it again. Well, right. But okay, so what, you know, just for my own, I'm just asking for my own uh, help because I do rage at people and I do rage in general. You don't want to, it's, when you have an audience, it seems to have more effect, and and, sure. and you can go on for longer because, like you know, it's a show. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when you're by yourself, you're just like, fuck it, goddamn it. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, like, no one around to to make me feel like uh, you know, the child I am or take care of me. So how long does that last? But when you feel it coming, because if you're a real rager, it, once it starts, it's going to run its course. It runs its course. And how it... do you stop it? What do you do? What are your tools? Help me out. I. I've been able on a couple of occasions, it's not as trite as count to 10, breathe in, breathe out. It's just try to see it through. What does this mean? 
because I start to get it. I start the temperature. God damn it, mother. Okay, yeah, what yeah. does this really mean? And what, what, what are do you, you really mad out? And can it wait? You know, what what is what are you, is it, there must be a common theme. The common theme is feeling powerless. Right. And why is that power important? And what is the perception of that power? What's what's beating you down right now? Is it really something that's tangible, or are you making it up? Is it is it is it something like you know why can't I have what I want right now? Is yes, it, it's, it's childish, early childhood feelings. Yeah. Right, it's a baby that, stuff. Th- well, that's the fucking thing that's so scary is that you know I get that too, and what you're really dealing with is the emotional spectrum with this kind of need of like you know five year old, but yeah. now I've now we've got forty years of cynicism and weird life to fuel <laughs> this weird need of a five year old, and it's evil. Yeah. It can be fucking evil. It's like the crystal from Superman's planet was put into us as a child and it still glows green no matter how we dress it up around it. That yeah. green crystal is inside us. Yeah. It's, and it's going to come out. It's fucking bizarre. You cannot dress it up with intelligence or books or oh, whatever. Oh, no. It's just like, well, I want what I want now. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck this. Where's my things? And I think it's kind of eloquent and beautiful when it comes out. Yeah. Because it, it, that is, a, that is a being human. So now that when I see it in other people... It doesn't frighten me as much because I go, oh, I get what they're doing. I do that. The rage thing? Yeah. Did you grow up with it? "Mm, A little bit. My dad would save it, save it, save it, and then kapaya. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is. Here's your present. Frightening as a kid, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's why I'm trying to get better at that. But I think it's it's being human. Yeah. No, I think it's part of it. But I I think that the the thing that, uh, that I find is that there's certain behavior that you're just not supposed to do. And that's being human too. You know, like, like there's certain behavior, it's sort of like, yeah, this might hurt somebody or we're, we're outside, there's other people around. Yeah. I was at Fordham University with Cedric Yarbrough and we did not read our contract carefully or weren't explained to language stuff. That yeah. we, Fordham is a Jesuit school in uh, right by the Bronx Zoo. Oh, I know where that is, yeah. So I go there, we do the, we do the gig and people are digging it. And yeah. Reno's a dirty show, so people make suggestions and we follow them, we do an improv scene. And after the show, the girl has, she goes, I can't give you your check tonight. I said, well, what happened? Well, there's some language things and blah, blah, blah. So instead of going, you know who you fucking are? And I went, okay, here's a situation that's not going to help if I get angry. So I said, can I just ask you something? Do you have the check with you tonight? She goes, yes. Okay, I understand that. But you're saying that you're going to punish us and withhold that check. I go, I just want to say to me, it doesn't make sense. I go, you're going to send, are you going to deduct any amount from that check? She goes, no. I says, I says, that doesn't make sense for you not to give me the check right now. If you're doing it to slap my hand, then I think that's not the right thing to do. I think that's being childish. But that's all I'm going to say. And she she kept the check, and it came 10 days later. But I was able to communicate was what Was this I, a grown-up? No. It was one of those student college things that says, I'll show them. But she said, she after you'd put on a good show, Great she decided show. to honor this, this contractual clause and deny you the money on a contractual point yeah. because she had the power to do that. Exactly. And... It, oh my God, what a fucking... I held it together. I held it together. I knew. I thought she was wrong, but it wasn't going to be a moment where I'm like, I'm a 40-something-year-old. Let me show this girl up in front of the other students because that doesn't serve the purpose other than to feed my own power. So I just went, ah, fuck, this is hard to do. All right, I yeah. think you're wrong and uh, we'll get the check when we get it. And and Cedric was motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever, I felt better about doing it. Do you ever take out anger in, in, in voices? <sighs> bloody fucking hell <laughs> no but Mother. I mean like have you used a voice have you ever used one of your funny voices inappropriately 
I don't think so. Okay. I think I. That's I, sort of like a karate thing. So I can kill you, but I, I'm not gonna. Exactly. You can't. I can't <laughs> use my funny voices. Can't in an use evil my funny way. voices, man. Yeah. Can't do it. There was a guy that used to. I always thought it was just so interesting. There was a guy, one of the most fucked up guys I ever knew in my life. A guy named Chris Collins. He, I think he lived. Did he live in San Francisco for a while? I can't remember. Mm. But he was he was a voice guy, but he was a complete fucking disaster. You know, drug addicted mess. Just a really weird fucking guy. Yeah. And I always thought it was so oddly ironic that he was voicing cartoons for children. <laughs> that, 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 that no one knew the reality of this monster. He was a sweet yeah. guy, but you know, they, there was a lot going on there. He, and he, I don't know if that stuff sinks in or not. No, that's it's called acting. Yeah. You know, that's it's what's weird is when. Somebody thinks they know you through your character or through your voice. And so kids are kids are smart. They get it. Like I do little children, like Wow Wow Wubsy, you know. Oh, no, Walden. Yes, yes, yes. And Felipe, the screwdriver on Handy Money. And so when a little kid sees that coming out of a human, they don't, it's a complete disconnect. You're not me. You're not Felipe. Yeah. You're not Walden. And, and oh, they, they're sort of like, why are you doing, where's the. Where's it coming from? Yeah, yeah right, right. You, you can't be that. Yeah. It has to be what they see on the TV. And the same applies for maybe you as a stand-up. You're Mark. I know you, dude. I follow your career. And you're like, well, that's me on stage. And yeah, to some extent, I bring a lot of me on stage, but you don't know me. Yeah, and then then they listen to the podcast, and then they really know me. Yeah. Yeah, I can't hide anymore. Yeah. Well, maybe they do. Well, no, they do. It's bizarre. I mean, what am I going to do? This is what I do. I'm not making things up. I'm not uh, telling fairy tales here. Yeah, I'm trying to process my own thoughts. And now these people come up. Like a guy the other night, he's standing by me waiting for my car. And he's like, wow, this is really too much because, like, I feel really close to you. Oh, wow. And and you don't really know me at all. And I'm like, it's okay, man. I'm good with it. So where do you work? You know, like, so you were good with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's the type of it's the type of thing I'm doing. So I I understand that, and I can only handle so much of uh like I don't know like it's hard to sort of make up for that space. Yeah, you know. But but I I I try to make them comfortable. So yeah, you expose yourself, and you're comfortable with the the, the exposure. I am to some extent when so I'm flattered when when somebody comes up to me. Hey man, I like you working. Have your autograph. I'm like, yeah, you know, you can aim higher, but what the hell? But you know? that's crazy. I mean, you're you're like one of the guys. You're like an important guy. What do they usually come up to you for? I'm most flattered when they come up for Rocco because Rocco was such a long time ago. Um, but usually Reno nine one one and. If they know my stand-up from like a Comedy Central special or late nights with Craig Ferguson's or whatever, then they'll they don't have to go. You're Garcia, but if they know me just from Reno, it takes them a while to say think that I am Garcia because I don't look anything like that character. How many seasons did you do with that? I did five seasons in a movie. Are they doing? Is it done? It's done for now. Could always come back. Now, when you tour with that, like you said, you went out with uh, who'd you go out? Cedric with? Yarbrough. What do you do? Jonesy. We do a two-person show, and it's literally—it's almost vaudevillian. You know, I come out first. I do my stand-up. Fifteen minutes later, you know, whoa, what's that noise? Out comes Cedric. We do this thing called the impression off, uh-huh. and it's literally I can do anything better than you can. No, you can't. It's like, oh yeah, well, listen to this impression. Oh yeah, what does the audience think? Well, do your impression, and then he ends up doing. Uh, CeeLo, I remember when, I remember when I lost my hand. Yeah. He does a great uh, CeeLo, and uh-huh. I, I'm off stage. He does some stand-up. Uh, we show a clip. I come back. We're in our uniforms. We're being a student on stage. We do the planned improv thing, and uh-huh. we, we discovered this one night. Because when you bring a student on that isn't an improv person, yeah. it's better to bring a girl, first right. of all, a woman, because guys are like, fucking fraternity, man, yeah. fucking Rito. Okay, yeah. that's a mistake. Yeah. So we started bringing out one woman at a time. So the, the out was Cedric could, could always flirt, flirt with this woman. And that went all right. 
And one night we bring up two women because they're friends. Yeah. And some woman says, blah, 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 get in the scissors position. And they wouldn't do it. So Cedric and I go, here, here's what we mean. Two cops getting in a scissors. Big laughs. Light bulb goes off in our head. We will always bring two women up and we will always get it to a point where we are going to illustrate the scissors position. <laughs> Guaranteed laugh. <laughs> and it's worked. Really? Yeah. You, know, you guys got a scissor every time. We got there's Somehow we got to get it to scissors. Yeah. And I'm not ashamed of that because, you know, the college kids want to be entertained and now they know the secret. So, um, <laughs> and it's just, it, that's, who came up with that act? I mean, when you do that, I mean, did you guys just decide to try it? I came what? up with it because he was like, what am I going to do? I don't, I'm just an actor and I've done some stage things. I go, we'll figure it out. They're going to be happy enough that you just showed up. Now the shelf life of our Reno 911 has been offset by the popularity of Jersey Shore. So that at the Nash, last national NACA convention, which I could not make, we could have gone and gone to the convention. NACA is the... Uh, is NACA. The, it's for the college uh, showcase. For listeners, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a two-hour line for Snooky from Jersey Shore. You know? huh. So that's what we're competing with. The kids' A, a non-performer. Span. Yeah. So the Reno is not as popular anymore. You know, It was going to have a short shelf life. But maybe in a couple of years, it will come back again where people go, hey, that show's been off the air. It'd be cool to see the Reno guy. What do you want to do? What's I, the big I don't want to audition for Latino gardener roles anymore. I, I want to be doing what Hank Azaria has been able to do and be a good character actor. And I want to write my own stuff. I want to do, I've pitched, I've got a couple of things that I've pitched that are coming up to, I've got a CBS and a Showtime pitch. Um, but I want to continue acting. Um, I want to still scuba dive and skydive occasionally. You skydive by yourself without a yeah, guy on your back? I've been doing that for a few years now when when can you do it without but the now guy on your back uh after one lesson you can do it right away if you want to without a guy on your back it's called an aff accelerated free fall but um you do that i do what's called a fun jump i have 733 jumps and i just did my first balloon jump jumping from a hot air balloon two weeks ago and uh that's posted on facebook that was really bizarre do you have your own shoot i have my own gear yeah my own parachute and everything so I think the short answer is I want to do something creative. I'm not sure. I want to act, maybe develop my own show. I want to develop an animated show and uh, do the things that I like to do with family and friends. So if fame is an offshoot of that and there's a red carpet in my future, that'll be cool. But hopefully if I'm well-adjusted, that won't be the end-all, be, be-all, end-all. So the skydiving thing. Oh, that's a topic of therapy that has where we've just shelved and put that in a public storage thing for now. Why? Because at first, the skydiving thing was to be big, bigger than everybody. Oh, yeah, your show business? Guess oh, what I, I fucking do? I, I can fucking jump out of a plane yeah. coming from a childish yeah. perspective. Out now it's just plane. like, uh, it's not to be big anymore, so I don't go any, go as much anymore, but I like it. I enjoy it. What is it? This ethereal playground of 363 degrees of air, a wall of air around you. It's fast. It's adrenal pumping. It's... It's an intangible. I can't explain it to you. So it's not, you just dig it. So I, I guess if I did drugs other than alcohol, it might be like an acid trip. Yeah, it might be mushrooms. It might. Now, how do you, how does how do you go about doing that? Do you have to know people with planes, or you, do you pay a guy to fly you up? Or you go to schools. There's the most popular schools: Paris, one eight hundred skydiving, Paris Valley. And if you want to go through your lessons, le- levels one through eight in accelerated freefall, you don't have to do a tandem to start with. It's recommended. Um, or you can go to iFly, Universal Studios, the indoor skydiving tunnel, to learn how to get acclimated to air blowing in your face first. It's a good place to go. We go there a lot. 
Um, and then you just call. You go through your lessons. If you complete levels one through eight, you rent gear and you go on your first solo jump. And you are on your way to filling that's, your logbook. That's when you decide your own pull time? That's when you pull by... Well, you pull by yourself by level five of accelerated free fall. You have an instructor that flies with you, levels five through eight. And then they watch you as you go through your stuff, make sure that you pull at a certain altitude. Some people were sort of like, I don't want to pull. I don't want to pull, man. They have death wishes. It's rare. There's been those things where people have done that. Where they just push it to the edge, yeah, or put and don't pull it all because they and they've left a note behind, you know. Oh, really? Like on their first or second jump? Yeah, kind of deal? you know, I'm gonna just take lessons, and she left me, and I'll skydive, and I'll take the. Do lessons. you ever get afraid? Um, yeah, I've had one reserve ride, which means I had to pull my main chute because yeah. it wasn't very good. Yeah, and it was a fright that I had you, afterwards. So you pulled your chute and it didn't open. It opened, but it was op- It was uh, it was spinning. I had several line twists. And was spinning faster and faster and faster. And at the time it's happening, I'm going, God damn, motherfucker. Fuck, 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 yeah. fuck. And I pulled my main and then I pulled my reserve and I got down on the ground. And then about an hour later, I was like, oh, fuck. Holy shit. I fuck. I'm fucking scared. You know, I'm very emotional. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. That could have been it. Yeah. So it's like, only so, afterwards. So you're up there and there's no, the, the main shoot's done. It's, it's fight or flight, baby. It, no, you. there's no, I mean, yeah, you're already flying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so the, all you have is the reserve? All you have is the reserve. Have you um, seen anyone die? I have not seen anyone die. I've seen somebody break a hip in front of me that slammed to the ground I thought was dead because they lay motionless and the ambulance came out. I was like, oh, this is fuck. This is not, not a good, good day. Not a good day. And they took him to the hospital and we were waiting to find out. Um, a good friend of ours, Eli Thompson, passed away in Switzerland. Uh, last year, about a year ago, in August, um, he was doing a Red Bull stu- uh, flying feature film, and he did. He's, d- he's doing what's called proximity flying, where they put on the wingsuits, base jump off a cliff, and then fly through canyons and angle their bodies along the contours of a canyon, so that they can actually fly sideways past a canyon, reach out and touch it with their with, arm with wings, with wingsuit, with yeah. a wingsuit, and he had a pilot error. And uh, he didn't make it. And he's a young 36-year-old kid with a second child on the way. And I'd say. Yeah, it's tragic. It's tragic, but it's it's part of what happens when we push the envelope with that sport. A regular skydive, if you're out, for example, like we do at 13.5, you're altitude aware, you break off at 4,500 feet, so you get away from everybody while you open, and you pull at 3,000, 99% of the time, things are going to go fine. Yeah. It's when you decide, I'm going to jump off this building, see if, see what, how low I can make it, or I'm going to jump with this suit on, or see if I can go between these cliffs. Every time you up the ante... It's same with anything. With drugs. Yeah, comedy. <laughs> comedy. Let's see if I can get away with this bit. I'm in an all-black comedy club. Yeah, Let's see if I can get away no. with this. Shoot didn't open. Yeah. Bang, <laughs> <laughs> bang. They apologized me, man. They showed time at the apologized me. That's All right, good. man. Well, Carlos, be careful. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. that's it that's the show who knew carlos alzraki skydiver thank you all again merry happy holiday thing i hope that's all working out for you go to wtf pod get on the mailing list kick in a few bucks buy some merch got new merchandisers american apparel t-shirts same price good shit and they won't smell like cats and maybe you want that i don't know thanks again for all the lovely well wishing and uh, look forward to the, uh, the past episodes being put up soon on iTunes for you to enjoy. 
Is that all I need to say to you? Oh, WTFPodshop.com for our premium episodes. Bunch of nice premium content up there. Very funny. Very funny. Okay, that's all the energy I have to pretend like I'm not alone. 